Well, good evening, Hillcrest Baptist Church. Wonderful to see so many of you here after such a long day. Uh, I'm going to try my best to keep you awake. I want to ask uh, you a question then that may keep you awake for more than just tonight. Do you want to serve Jesus? And do you know what it takes? You may want to think about that a little bit. I'll give you an example that you can use to, uh, to give you a template of someone who served Jesus and who knew exactly what it took, Elizabeth Elliot. She was a Christian author and speaker. Her first husband, Jim Elliot, was also well-known, but he was killed in 1956 while attempting to make missionary contact with the Yuka people of eastern Ecuador. She later spent two years as a missionary. Where? To that tribe who killed her husband. Returning to the United States after many years in South America, she became widely known as the author of over 20 books and as a speaker. She toured the country, sharing her knowledge and experience well into her 70s. She said the following, There is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. So I repeat my question. Do you want to serve Jesus? And do you know what it takes? In the previous portion of Colossians, we saw that our hope is not in the things of this life, but that our hope is in eternal life. That is what keeps us going. And as long as we keep our eyes on the prize, eternal life, we have reason to face the troubles of this life. And Paul also explained that you were previously an enemy of God and now made a friend of God by God. And Paul then gave you the goal of this recollection in verse 22 of Colossians chapter 1. He said, your future condition is to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. And then Paul encourages the Colossians and you to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. That was in Colossians 1 verse 23. True born-again Christians... Stand the test of time, says Paul. So today we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1 from verse 24. And Paul tells us what it means and what it takes to serve Jesus. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 and we'll read in a moment from verse 24. You may want to keep your finger there on that text. We'll, uh, we'll explain it more or less verse by verse. But let's just pray for a moment. Father, as we want to hear you speak, we want it to be exactly that. Not man's words, but God's words. Not man's influence or ability, but God's influence and ability. We pray, Lord, that as we think about these things, this very important question that Paul answers, do I want to serve Jesus and I do I know what it takes? That you will give us what we need to do exactly that and that you will be glorified because of what we decide and how we react. Amen. So just in the previous verse, verse 23, Paul mentions that he is a servant of the gospel. So a servant of Jesus Christ. And he then writes a long Greek sentence in which he explains 
what that means for him and for us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to 29. So let's, let's read it together. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So Paul gives us four aspects of his ministry that will help us serve him better, serve Jesus better. These are the four points. Paul says you need a required attitude, you need a necessary conviction, you need a worthwhile purpose, and you need sufficient power. So four points. I want to warn you that the first point will take the longest, so don't be disappointed if we go half, halfway through the about 40 minutes that I need. Also a joke, it may not take that long, but it will take most of the time just to go through the first point. So just hang in there. First point, you need a required, the required attitude to serve Jesus in the way that is, he wants us to serve him. Colossians 1 verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, says Paul. So Paul, on his way to, to Damascus to persecute more Christians, gets confronted by Jesus. And then God speaks to another man named Ananias. And he says to Ananias, go and pray for Paul. So Ananias is well connected knows about Paul, and Aeneas understandably is reluctant to go because of Paul's reputation against Christians. And this is what Jesus says to Ananias in Acts chapter 9 from verse 15. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And suffer Paul did. Not only did Paul suffer physically, but he also had the emotional burden of caring for the churches filled with Gentiles. In 2 Corinthians 11, from verse 23 to 28, Paul lists some of his sufferings. This is, this is what he said. He worked much harder. He was in prison. He was flogged more se severely many times. He was exposed to, to death again and again. Five times he received from the Jews the 40 lashes, minus one. Three times beaten with rods, pelted with stones, shipwrecked, spent a night and day on the open sea, constantly on the move, in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. <laughs> no one left. In danger in the city, in case you didn't know where. In danger in the country. In danger at sea and in danger from false believers, labored and toiled, often gone without sleep, known hunger and thirst, often gone without food, have been cold and naked, 
Besides everything else, he says, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. What is suffering like in your life? Potholes? Waiting long in a queue? How does, how does your list of suffering compare to this summary that Paul gave us? You want to serve Jesus, and do you know what it takes? And Paul was, he wasn't writing this from the veranda of the oyster box either, right? He was writing this from his present cell in Ephesus. That was his present suffering, as he wrote. It's from that prison that he says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Was Paul a sucker for punishment? Was he so spiritually superior that suffering didn't bother him at all? No. Paul's attitude can be compared to the emotional up and down of a mother in labor. I don't know what that feels like, but I was there when our firstborn was born, and I suffered verbal abuse. Nothing compared to what mothers go through. But Paul's attitude can be compared to that. The birth pain's almost unbearable, but once that little one makes its first sound, joy indescribable. Paul shared in the birth process of these churches in Asia Minor, and Paul's heart felt the weight of their spiritual health and maturity. The tense of the word rejoice indicates that Paul continually chose to rejoice. He chose not to look at the reasons not to rejoice. He chose to rejoice. Not a fake joy. It's an outworking of the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, he was in prison, but he understood and embraced the fact that suffering is the appointed means by which God will bring salvation into this world. In some of his last words to Timothy, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3 from verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live God, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And other apostles and disciples shared this attitude with Paul. A joyful attitude in suffering. Acts 5 verse 41, where Peter and others, other disciples. Verse 41 says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. Dishonor for the name. In Acts 16 verse 25, we have Paul and Silas. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Imagine for a moment. Your turn to teach. You're busy teaching wherever, here in the building. And the police next door walk in. And they take you captive. And they knock you about a bit. Don't give you anything to eat or drink. Comes midnight. Are you going to sing praisings? Not so sure I will. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, says Paul. And explains a required attitude. To serve Jesus, you must be joyful in your suffering. In verse 24, he continues by motivating why this suffering happens and what the worth of that is. 
Knowing why suffering happens helps us gain the proper attitude. If you're over-concerned about something, usually you don't have any joy. Paul writes some of the strangest and most misunderstood words in the Bible. Colossians 1 verse 24, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. What? Is Paul saying that there is something lacking in the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross in your place for your sins? Is that what he's saying? Is he saying that there's more suffering needed for you to be saved ultimately? Absolutely not. Whenever we find a statement like that, that you go, wait a minute, did I understand this? Is he saying this? It sounds like he's saying that, isn't it? Well, then you look at what he already said, and you look at what the rest of the Bible says. Because he just told the Colossians previously that they had been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son in verse 13. And through Jesus, God reconciled all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, he says in verse 20 of Colossians 1. He says in verse 22, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. So what does he mean if he says, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? So some have falsely used this phrase to claim that the suffering of Jesus on the cross was not enough to pay for your sins. The Roman Catholics have built an imaginary place called purgatory between earth and heaven where you must suffer that portion that Jesus did not suffer on your behalf. And they make good money from that because as a family member, you can now pay money to the church, and then you'll shorten the suffering period of your family member who is in purgatory. The mere idea that more must be done than what Jesus did is blasphemy. But it does sound as if that is what Paul is saying here. In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. For the sake of his body, that is the church. Well, here's what Paul means by that phrase. Those who hated Jesus wants to make him suffer more. The suffering that they piled on Jesus was not enough. His suffering wasn't enough for those people who hated him. The Jesus haters wanted more suffering. But Jesus is not there anymore. So they go for you who stand for Jesus. It was not Paul's presence or his character or his lifestyle choices that offended people so much that they made him suffer. It was his ministry. It was his service to Jesus that caused them to make him suffer. The Jesus haters want you to suffer what is lacking in their ability to make Jesus suffer. Jesus is not here. He's gone. But you are here. And your suffering can be added to the suffering they so desire to inflict on him whom you serve. There were false teachers in Colossae also in that time who claimed that human suffering was needed to top up payment for sin. So Paul corrects them in this letter by saying these things. I like what John Piper said about this. He says it this way. Christ's cross was for propitiation. Ours for propagation. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffered to spread salvation. As the church, we are Christ's body 
here on earth. The world hated and still hates Jesus. They now take out their hatred on us, the church. Don't be surprised. And Jesus made it clear that as we seek to serve him, we will encounter persecution and suffering. Something we should expect. In 1 Peter 4 verse 12, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. In fact, we can join with the apostles and all the other believers that have gone before us and say with Peter, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 1 Peter 4 verse 13. Millions of Christians worldwide face intimidation, prison, or even death for their service to Jesus. The required attitude of someone who desired to serve Jesus is not only an attitude of willingness to suffer, but an attitude of joy in the midst of suffering. Do you want to serve Jesus? And do you know what it takes? It takes suffering gladly so that others might know Jesus. Are you willing? Point one done. Point number two. A necessary conviction. Verse 25 to 27. Says he, of which the, the gospel of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul now moves on to show his conviction and how that conviction benefits the kingdom. He calls himself a minister. Uh, your translation may say a servant. The English word deacon comes from the same word in the original language. It is a servant. To be a servant means to give up rights in order to minister to others or to serve others. Paul shares the conviction that he was given the task of serving Jesus by serving the church. Look in the verse. Of which I became a minister, verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. On the Damascus Road, Jesus gave Paul a new conviction. His conviction was to root out this new movement, a new conviction he now has. Jesus says, Paul, serve me by serving my church, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, says Paul. Do you want to serve Jesus? Serve the church. Are you serving? Are you serving for yourself? Or are you serving for salvation? Are you serving for spiritual growth? Or are you convicted to sit back and be served? Paul's conviction, serve Jesus by serving the church. Paul also, Paul also gives us the focus of the serving the church. Where must we pay attention in any way that we serve? What must be our motto? To make the word of God fully known, verse 25. The Ephesian elders, to them, Paul said, in Acts 20, verse 27, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul makes it clear also that his focus in making the word of God fully known is a mystery. Paul's mystery simply means something 
that was hidden but now has been disclosed or unveiled. <coughs> Excuse me. What is the mystery? Paul informs, informs us in verse 27 that the Gentiles would be included in the kingdom. It was a mystery to the Jews. Verse 27 reads as follows. To them, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are this, is this mystery. I just pushed the wrong button. Let me just find my place just a moment <clears throat> while I also find my breath. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. <coughs> and that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Almost there. There we go. Paul's mystery simply means something that was hidden and is now revealed. And that revelation is that the, the, the information about Jesus Christ and his saving glory is available among the Gentiles. The Jews really struggled with this uh, inclusion of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. But they really have no reason because God promised Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him. And David wrote in Psalm 98 verse 2, The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. And Paul encourages the Colossian Gentile believers with our verse. Colossians 1 verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul message, Paul's message to the Gentiles, to us as well, is a marvelous mystery. Christ in you the hope of glory. It is a blessed reality that fuels our hope and strengthens our conviction to serve by focusing on the value of the Word of God. If you want to serve Jesus and Christians, you must want that. Then you must have the required attitude, a joyful, uh, joyful in suffering, and you must have the necessary conviction that the Bible is sufficient and must be fully known in you and in others. Which brings us to the third aspect of serving Jesus that will benefit him and his church, and that is a worthwhile purpose. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Who is the he that Paul proclaims? He is Jesus. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And in Colossians 3 verse 16, Paul explains how this purpose of maturity comes about. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We have the responsibility to gently adjust our thinking and actions. That is admonishing. And we must teach one another and ourselves when we see error in one another. All of that in love with patience as God is patient with us. The famous George Whitfield said, Other men may preach the gospel better than me, but no man can preach a better gospel. We find reason not to pursue this worthwhile purpose, don't we? I'm tired. It's not my responsibility. It's not my gift. 
Billy gets the salary, let him preach. I have a cold. I plan to have a tummy bug next Sunday. Here's an example that may shame some of us. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, a 70-year-old blind woman came to faith in Jesus Christ. She received a French copy of the Bible as a gift. She brought the Bible to the missionary and asked that he would underline John 3, verse 16. Remember? Blind woman. Missionary was curious as to what she wanted to do with this underlining. What she did was the next day she went to the school nearby and she waited for the children to come out. And two of the boys came to her and she asked them to find the underlined verse, John 3, verse 16. They found it, read it, and she started explaining to them the gospel. What is Paul's purpose? What must be your purpose? To present everyone fully mature in Christ. And everyone means everyone. St. Clair Ferguson wrote, In a word, maturity equals Christ-likeness. No other standard may be allowed to substitute. The only thing that counts, according to Paul, is being like Jesus. Are you growing more and more like him? Then you are maturing as a Christian. If you are not, then you are not maturing as a Christian. In Philippians 1 verse 6, we see being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Your worthwhile purpose must be to become like Jesus and to help others become like Jesus. Just think about this. Are you willing to be admonished and taught in order that you may become more like Jesus? Or, or do you allow your ego to come in, in the way? We looked at point one, the required attitude that you must have. Point two, a necessary conviction. And we did a worthwhile purpose. And lastly, to serve Jesus, it takes sufficient power. Paul says in verse 29 of Colossians 1, For this I toil, struggling, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And Paul uses a very strong word here, toil, and to strive. The original word literally means to struggle. And he also uses agonizomai. You can hear that we find the word agonize from that word. So Paul says that we should strive agonizingly to serve Jesus. That requires power. Do you have that power? I remember one of the most physically challenging weeks of my life was a part of my army time. And uh, we, we were busy every day for at least 15 hours, physically busy, running or doing push-ups or carrying something, uh, being deprived of sleep, really a tough week. If you want to know more and you want to cry with me, you're welcome to come and visit. I'll tell you. But on, on the sixth day, we were running and we, we did a, a run-walk of 40 kilometers with full kit and uh, got to a point where one of uh, our friends almost collapsed and uh, the corporal was there. And this friend said, Kanimir ni corporal. Can't go further, Corporal. Corporal's response was, if you can say that, you can do another 10 kilometers. Let's go. To achieve something, you need the right power. John Wesley, as an example, often rode 100 kilometers a day on horseback. 
not in a Toyota. And he preached three times a day into his 70s. How's that possible? Well, here's a verse to remember, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You can go and find self-help seminars. You can buy self-improvement books. And they'll teach you a useless message. The message is this. You can do anything if you can put your mind to it. It's a common theme of self-improvement seminars and books for people who don't believe enough in themselves. And that's the marketing punchline. If you say it often enough, you'll be able to achieve it. Who of you know the story of the little blue engine? Who said, I think I can, I think I can. You remember that story? Little blue engine came to a very steep hill and there were larger engines there that couldn't make it up the hill. And the larger engines were clearly despondent and the little blue engine started up this hill and he said to himself, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Almost sounded like a train, didn't it? Came close to the top and he almost came to a standstill, but he kept on saying, I think I can, I think I can. And he made it to the top and over. And as he went over, he rewarded himself with, uh, with I thought I could, I thought I could. Doesn't work in life like that, does it? You know it doesn't. So in the context of our passage for today, it is not the power of positive thinking that Jesus requires from you. Jesus is not asking you to do something very, very difficult that with extraordinary effort and self-belief you'll be able to do. Jesus is requiring of you to do the impossible. Remember the disciples sitting outside Jerusalem with Jesus looking at the wall and Jesus explains to the people who rely on their own resources that they cannot enter the kingdom. He was saying, it's more difficult for a rich person to make it into the kingdom than what it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples understood this and they were confused. And they were saying, well, where does this leave us? And it's impossible for anyone to be saved. And in Mark 10 verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. The good news is that even the great Paul depended on the sufficient power of God. And he tells us in Colossians 1 verse 28, 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So dear friends, four qu questions to end with. One for each of the aspects of your ministry that helps you serve Jesus better. Do you have the required attitude? Are you willing to joyfully suffer? You may want to think again of your list of suffering and what causes you to be despondent and for your heart to be cast down and think, are those really suffering? Are you joyfully suffering, knowing that it is for God and much less suffering that what Jesus went through for you. Second question, do you have the necessary conviction? That conviction must be that the word of God is sufficient for life and godliness. 
and that you make every effort to know and to use it better. Question number three, do you embrace a worthwhile purpose? That purpose is to present everyone fully mature in Christ. Question number four, do you trust and are you relying on God's sufficient power? Or do you, when you are in trouble, let's say you land up in jail next door because you preach the gospel, is your first is your first thought to rely on God's power? Or do you try and find a phone number of one of our advocates? If you are missing one or more of these aspects in your life, and you sit here today and I said, I don't really know what you're talking about, it may mean that you are not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, then it is impossible to serve Jesus. You can start today with aspect number four. Rely on the sufficient power of God to bring you into a serving relationship for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful that we have um, these many examples of men who were faithful throughout the history of the church. We thank you for the words that Paul penned down when he wrote to the Colossians. I pray, Lord, that we will apply it to our lives. Here, we, our desire is that more people will come in, that more of us here will serve you in a better way. Help us, Lord, to learn. Help us to be more convicted, to have the right attitude, to understand the purpose. And help us, Lord, to rely on your power as we work with what you give us in order to glorify the name of Christ. Amen. I greet you with these words. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.